Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo. We specialize in author interviews, audiobook, and podcast production, as well as the prestigious Firebird Book Awards and the Positive Change Podcast Awards. We also feature our fun and short podcast that allows authors to record their own writing tip to share on our Boom Bang, Oh My Gosh, Wow podcast, which you will find along with the rest of our offerings at speakuptalkradio.com. But right now, I'm happy to share a recent Firebird Book Award winning author with you. He is Daniel Meyer, and his winning book is titled Blood Before Dawn. Daniel graduated from the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, with a major in history. He served in the United States Navy and later studied American Lit at the University of Maryland Graduate School for one year and began writing. Meantime, he taught English and history at a private high school for a couple of years and worked as a flight instructor and a pilot examiner for the FAA. There's really a lot more to know, but we've got a short interview today, so I'm going to post all of this at our Speak Up Talk radio website. I want to dig in with Daniel because he's had quite a life, and I'm happy to share him with you. So welcome to the network, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. Uh, Very happy to be here. I'm very happy to have you here as well, and congratulations on winning the book award. Yeah, uh, it was uh, quite a, a delightful surprise. I'm uh, I'm very grateful that uh, I was uh, I, that I, I was selected. You never know when you put yourself out there what's going to come back. So thank you for taking that leap and joining us. Sure, anytime. All right. Well, why don't you give us a peek? The book is titled "Blood Before Dawn." Give us a little insight as to what our listeners might expect to find. Well, uh, yeah, this uh, this book, uh, as I think you've mentioned, is a uh, is a follow-on, a sequel to the first one, the uh, <clears throat> the Dung Beetles of Liberia, and uh, I got interested in that that subject uh, through a friend of mine who uh, who actually worked in Liberia uh, during the 1960s, uh, from I think 61 to 68, and he was an air transport pilot there, and uh, he, you know, we spent a lot of lunches together, and and uh, and. Uh, he would uh, regale me with these uh, brilliant stories of his uh, ex- experiences in Liberia, and so I suggested to him one day that why not uh, write this, write all this stuff down? Because you know, you go to that great airport in the sky, uh, it would probably be lost. So anyway, uh, time went on, and uh, I kind of figured, well, he probably would do it. So um, I asked him if I could do it, and uh, he gave me permission. So I wrote. The Dung Beetles of Liberia, and then the subject was so interesting because Liberia, it, 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 it's a, you know, it's a, a good example of how not to govern mm-hmm. uh, and how not to conduct conduct things. It uh, it came a very became a very prosperous small country because of its rich natural resources, and um, the problem with it was that. that it was governed by a small, a relatively small a group of uh, very wealthy people who were called the America Liberians, and the America Liberians really didn't belong in Liberia. They were the descendants of former slaves, um, American slaves, who were offered a chance to uh, come to Liberia, and, and starting in the 1820s, on through the 1840s, by uh, an outfit called the uh, American Colonization Society. And the whole thrust of that was uh, to uh, to uh, get rid of uh, these uh, freedmen, uh, freed slaves, 
to get them away from the, the country because they didn't want them stirring up, well, they, being the slave owners, didn't want them stirring up trouble. The one thing that slave owners feared more than anything else was a, uh, a slave uprising. And uh, one had happened in uh, Haiti, I think, in 1805, and uh, was extremely bloody and disastrous. So uh, they saw an opportunity to uh, to do that, and uh, and they did. And for uh, several decades, uh, ships regularly went to Liberia carrying uh, former former slaves who, uh, you know, thought they found the promised promised land. Well, it turned out not to be that way. Uh, that section of the uh, of the of the continent, which was controlled by the British, who back then controlled everything, um, they had about thirteen to sixteen indigenous tribes, and these people didn't like the the, the the you know the introduction of these foreigners, so they resisted it, but uh, eventually lost. Anyway, long story short, uh, the uh, America Liberians. Um, it sort of took over the, the place. They took it over by force and uh, and uh, established themselves as, let's call it the aristocracy. And that evolved into the 20th century, and uh, they set up a government similar to uh, the U.S. They had a Congress and an executive and a, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, a judicial. The trouble is they only had one party, the true Whig party, and that party was dominated, of course, by the American Liberians. Now, where am I going with all this? Well, by 1960, uh, 1970, uh, Liberia had become very wealthy. Well, let's put it this way. The American Liberians had become very wealthy. There were two classes in that country. There were the American Liberians. They were the upper class, the aristocracy. And then there was everybody else who scraped around uh, trying to find a living and trying to survive. Well, you know, if they had looked at history uh, a little more carefully, they would have discovered that this type of disparity, this type of situation, doesn't last forever. I mean, the French Revolution is a good example. The Russian Revolution is a good example. You can go all the way back to uh, to the uh, fourth century BC in, in, in Athens, and the same thing happened there. Uh, eventually. The, the indigenous people, the, the, the people who were kept suppressed and down, rebelled. And it, of course, took the form of a, a military coup. And, and interestingly, this coup was led by it's just a few non-commissioned officers and, uh, and, and, and the low enlisted ranks. Because the American Liberians were the only ones who held commission, commission ranks. And, uh, the enlisted men were all indigenous people. Anyway, Sergeant Doe and uh, a few others had had enough of uh, of this and uh, decided to overthrow the uh, government of of, uh, of William Talbot. And um, and and they did in a very violent uh, violent way. Uh, one night, uh, April 11th, I think it was, uh, a night of 1970, <clears throat> and. Um, yeah, that, and that's the you know the source of the title, of course, "Blood Before Dawn." They killed him, uh, kind of like it was sort of reminiscent of what happened to Julius Caesar in the Senate. They broke into his bedroom, and uh, after they had killed half the guards there, and, and the other half were on their side, 
They broke into his bedroom in the executive mansion, and uh, he, of course, they yanked him out of bed, and there he was in his, you know, evening clothes, and um, he, of course, begged for his life, and but they uh, they shot him and stabbed him. And um, there isn't really a lot written about this. There isn't. Uh, there's a lot of controversy about it, just how it was done and who who struck the first blow, that sort of thing. Um. More is known about the assassination of Julius Caesar than about the assassination of, of Talbot. But uh, nevertheless, they uh, they did, but then they went a step farther. They uh, plucked out his eyes, or one of his eyes, and they disemboweled him because the rumor was that he was also a witch doctor and could put a curse on, on anyone who violated him. So that was the only way they believed you could kill a witch doctor. So he did that, they mutilated his body, and then threw his body onto a trash pile. After that, they ran to the the Barclay Training Center, which was the main post for the army, and uh, got on the radio and declared uh, a revolution. And that's uh, that's really the source of the, of the book. And um, I wanted to write about it because it happened in our age. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it, 1970 isn't that far in the past. Uh, I remember it quite well. I've just started to shave. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, and uh, it, it, it just fascinated me that a very small group of uh, uh, enlisted army types could take over a country like that. And they did so. The army immediately joined their side, the rest of the army. And Talbot um, essentially had no support at all. Uh, and... Um, so that's 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 it. And uh, my my protagonist, um, uh, I I sent them there because they they went back to uh, earn some money buying uh, some rough diamonds, and uh, uh, the, the you know the, the hero he can knew how to operate the, the diamond business. So he he wanted to buy some diamonds to finance his uh, his uh, flight operation. And uh, back back in the states, and uh, he got involved with the uh, uh, with the revolution in an indirect kind of way. And uh, I like to show uh, not just the revolution, of course, and, and its, and its uh, causes and results, but what it did to ordinary people. And that's kind of what the book's about, also. Uh, you know, just just ordinary people trying to survive. What did they do when everything was turned upside down? And how did they survive? Wow. So, um, uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, I hate to brag, but I've been doing it for a long, long time. I think I did a fairly good job. Of it. <laughs> Obviously, you so. did. What a fascinating, fascinating, because nobody knows this. People in our country don't know anything about Liberia or probably give any thought to it. And I love to, I always love to draw the parallels with things that happened in history to current events. And people don't realize, they, I don't know if they don't pay attention or they don't think that history can repeat itself or that it, there's any value of knowing what happened previously so we don't make those mistakes or maybe we do make them again. I don't I don't know. I just find the whole thing very fascinating. That's why I... Uh, well, there's a, there's a very interesting slogan uh, carved over the National Archives here in Washington that says that the past is prologue. Yes. And, uh, and that's what it is. We are the product of history. In fact... Uh, 
I can't. I tried. I'd argued with one of my high school students once uh, that there is no such thing as the present. Uh, two seconds ago is now history, mm-hmm. and this there's either history or the future. Exactly. Uh, the the present is immeasurable. Well, unmeasurable. I think that's something that ought to be, ought to be considered. But yes, um, I think uh, people with societies that do, especially people on the up, upper end of the yes. economic scale, yes. I do tend to make the mistake of ignoring uh, the downfalls of the past. Uh, I suppose it's because they feel powerful and uh, and uh, you know enduring. And yet, that is the downfall over and over and over again. I mean, I yeah. think we're seeing that right now. I just I don't know who it was. Some some elitist somewhere said inflation. Well, it's not bothering me. I don't notice it because I have enough. It's like okay. That's, yeah, that, that that's the attitude. And uh, the America Liberians uh, thought that they were insulated from uh, <clears throat> you know from pretty much every disaster. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in a sense, they were because uh, they they contrived everything in their favor, of course. And uh, you know they they lived very well. Uh, they sent their children to schools in Europe or in the U.S. Uh, they never, the men all wore suits, uh, you know, and the women always dressed to the nines whenever they left the house. And interestingly, when the, the when the Talbot's cabinet was executed out on the beach, uh, they, the first thing they did was strip their clothes off of them, uh, you know, because all through history, uh, garments and clo- clothing has been a symbol of your wealth and power. Right. And uh, and they first of all they paraded them through the streets naked, like uh, like Roman prisoners, you know, and uh, and then they tied them to posts on the beach and executed them. Wow. Um, interestingly, one man, uh, Cecil, Honorable Cecil Dennis, uh, he uh, somehow he found the fortitude to look his executioners in the eye, and none of them shot him. They all shot at him. Oh. And, but none of them they shot him because they were afraid that he had some sort of, uh, m- you know, mystical power. Power. Mm-hmm. That he could look at his executioners while he was being executed. So uh, a sergeant or some, some enlisted man walked up to him with a pistol and shot him in the head. And he still didn't fall down. He locked his knees so that he would not fall down. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm taking up all of your time. No, no, uh, no, no. This is this is just fascinating. Uh, obviously, there's so much more to know. People need to get a copy of your book, Blood Before Dawn. Are you writing another follow-up? Yes, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling through another one. Uh, this one's going to be uh, centered around the first Civil War, because Charles Taylor himself is a, a fascinating figure. He's still alive, by the way. He's uh, serving a well-deserved. 50-year prison sentence for war crimes somewhere in the UK. And, uh, but yes, it's going to be, uh, 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 uh centered around the, around the terrible, awful civil war they had. I'm having trouble getting into it, uh, because it's, it, the title of the book is, uh, To Know Good and Evil. And, um, uh, it was such an evil event. I'm, I'm having difficulty thinking to that depth. And, uh, yeah. But I will. I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll finish it. <laughs> oh, I, I understand that you have to be in the mindset for something that um, difficult. So take your time. It'll come when it when it's supposed to. And uh, yeah. 
Yeah. All righty. Well, like I said, short today, but just wanted to highlight, which I think you did very well. I know you piqued my interest and I'm sure you will for listeners as well. Yeah. Yeah. Please please buy a copy. (laughs) Well, give us information where folks can find copies, where they can find out more about you. Give us all of that information. Where can we go? Oh, well, um, you can, um, uh, you can, of course, Amazon, uh, you know, order copies from Amazon. I think it's in Kindle also. Uh, and uh, you can order from uh, Barnes & Noble uh, or any any place where books are sold. And my website, too, uh, danielmeyerauthor.com. All righty. So we're speaking with Daniel Meyer. The book is titled Blood Before Dawn. Obviously, this is a very exciting book to read. So head over to danielmeyerauthor.com, Amazon, wherever books are sold, and get your copy of Blood Before Dawn. Daniel, thank you. Very, very intriguing. And I'm looking forward to future works of yours. So please feel free to share with us so we can have this opportunity again. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate it.